All right, Brother Josh, you have those uh, outlines. And turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. We are talking about a scriptural philosophy of soul winning. And we started off by talking about the, the importance of personal evangelism, why we do personal evangelism. Y'all can put your hands down. We're going to give one to everybody. Nobody's gotten one yet. So. Uh, but we, we've seen uh, a lot of scripture that instructs us personally and as a church, as Christians, to, uh, to be sharing Christ with the lost. We've, we've looked at why we emphasize soul winning. We've looked at um, evangelism since the time of Christ. We went back and kind of gave us a history leading up to that. We discussed uh, last week the limitations of impersonal evangelism. And we're not saying that impersonal evangelism is wrong. We do it. We have church services, and we preach the gospel. We have special days, and we preach the gospel. We have programs that we have set in place to be able to give out the gospel. So impersonal evangelism certainly is not wrong. It's just, it's just not as effective as personal evangelism. So what we want to talk about tonight is the potential of personal evangelism. Um, and, and basically, if we were to have just kind of a wholehearted return to personal individual evangelism, the potential that we can see with that. So let's start off with this. Number one is personal, evangelism's takes, per, personal evangelism takes Christ to where the lost are. And we're going to look at a lot of verses tonight, most of them in the book of Acts, because that's where uh, the, the early church um, did all of these things. The, the church was started and grew because of personal evangelism. So Acts chapter 5, we're gonna, I'm not going to read the whole passage, so it, we're going to kind of skip around in here a little bit, but I, I want to make these points clear. But the Bible says this in verse number 14, and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. Verse 17, then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But the angels of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, and he goes on and talks about some different things along with that. And then we move to verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Verse number 42 says, And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. We see there, number one, the early church filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. That wasn't because Jerusalem was coming to their church. They were going to Jerusalem. He's, number two, they did this by taking Christ to every house. We see that in verse number 42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Some say that this every house was not evangelism, but that it was either a Bible study or edification. Look, they were doing that in the temple. They were, they were doing the Bible studies and the edification and all that kind of stuff in the temple. They were preaching Jesus in the temple, but that's not the context of this passage. The context of this passage makes it very clear. If you're looking at verse 17 all the way through verse 42, that's all one story. And the priests were attempting to stop this active witnessing about Jesus Christ. Uh, not just sermons to the people who were already saved. Why would the priests and the Sadducees and all of these people try to stop them from edification? Why would he try to stop them from meeting together? That was not. They were going from house to house preaching Jesus Christ to the point that they said, you filled all of Jerusalem with your doctrine. Boy, what a compliment that would be, right? 
They, they, he was saying that as a, as a derogatory thing, but what a compliment. You filled all of Jerusalem with this doctrine. What is it? It's the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 20, turn over there. Acts chapter 20, we can see a kind of another example of this. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 17. And again, we're still talking about the early church. We're talking about Paul and those who were with him. And going on, you know, Acts, Acts is filled with Paul's missionary journeys. Um, others that joined him on those missionary journeys. But we see this in verse number 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That makes it pretty clear that Paul is not talking to those who are already saved. He's going publicly from house to house preaching repentance to the people who had not been saved yet. Clearly, this is not a Bible study or a message to the saved. It was an intensive house to house to share Christ with the lost where they were. Number three, Paul's method of witnessing was to go from house to house. And we shouldn't lose that. Paul's method worked. Paul's method of personal evangelism was to go to where the lost were. Acts chapter 17. Turn back a couple pages. And this is where we'll find the answer to number four. Acts chapter 17 and verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Paul also witnessed daily in public places like the marketplace. He was going from house to house. He was talking about Christ in the temple. He was talking about Christ everywhere he could, even to the point where, hey, I'm just waiting around for them to come. Look at all these people. Look at all these people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And he started witnessing for Christ in the marketplace. So personal evangelism, that is, uh, and so that doesn't necessarily give you the potential of personal evangelism, but here's where we move into that. Potentially, it's the only form of evangelism that can reach an entire community. Um, Take what happened in Ephesus, for example. In fact, turn back. We're, we're going to stay here in Acts for, for a couple minutes. In Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 and verse number 10. And this continued, talking about them going out, going from house to house, preaching Christ. This continued by the space of two years so that all, get this, all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Look, most of the Jews were not going to come to one of these new churches. The Greeks certainly were not because these were Jewish people. Why would, the Jew, why would the Greeks come there? And yet the Bible says that everybody in Asia heard the message of the gospel. Why is that? Because they were going out. They were publicly proclaiming Jesus Christ in personal evangelism. And that's the potential of personal evangelism. You can invite all the people you want to. They may come. They may not. But you go to them, they have to hear it. And that's exactly what happened here. Turn over to the next page, maybe Acts chapter 20 and verse number 31. Therefore watch and remember, Paul saying, that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day 
with tears. Go back to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. We mentioned this verse, but again, this, it fits perfectly with this. Acts chapter 5 and verse 28, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. How did Jerusalem get filled with that doctrine? It wasn't because all of Jerusalem came to their church. Because they were going to their Jerusalem. They were going to those people in that community. And that's how the doctrine of Christ was filled all the way throughout Jerusalem. Enlistment evangelism, we talked about that last week, only averages a 3% response. Right? 3% of people respond to you inviting them to come to Christ because they got invited to an event or something like that. Let's say that we can triple that. That's still 90% of people who will never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ if we're relying on enlistment evangelism alone, if we're relying on impersonal evangelism alone. Let's take a, a look at a couple more recent examples. I, I came across some, some different stories and some different books and things, and most of these guys you're familiar with, but Jonathan Goforth, he was a missionary to China in the 19th century, and he was training in a Toronto Bible college. He was working in the slums in his, in his time when he was not you know, working and, and going to school and things, and so... Uh, but this, this is taken from his biography. This is what it says. On weekdays, Jonathan spent much of his time visiting in the slum district. His strategy was to knock at a door. And I don't know if, uh, it, it probably wouldn't work this well today. It did then in the, in the 18th century. His strategy was to knock at a door, and when it opened a few inches, he would put his foot in the crack. He would then tell them his business, and if, as was usually the case, they said they were not interested and went to close the door, his foot prevented the proceedings from being brought to an abrupt end. As he persisted, the people of the house almost invariably gave way and let him in. Of all the many hundreds of homes that he visited during his years of slum work, there were only two where he definitely failed to gain an entrance. While visiting in slum homes, Goforth would sometimes lead as many as three people to Christ in a single afternoon. Dr. Shearer, who accompanied him in his visits one day, said as they parted, Goforth, if only this personal contact could have been made with every human soul, the gospel would have reached every soul long ago. And that's true. And I don't, know if, I don't know if you can go so far as to stick your foot in somebody's door today. You'd probably get your foot shot off or something like that. But uh, look, it's the, that's the aggressive evangelism that we need to bring back. Oh, somebody opens the door and says, I'm not interested and closes it. And oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, we're trying to give them something that's so important. They don't even realize how important it is. Here's another example, Charles Spurgeon. He was trying to turn his church. By the way, and we looked at this, evangelism, personal evangelism was not a thing uh, in the 16, 17, 18, even into the 1900s. But Charles Spurgeon got this, and of course he wrote the book on soul winning. He got the burden to go bring the gospel to the people in his area. And so he was trying to turn his church in that direction. He said this, there are thousands in London who will never be converted by the preaching of the gospel, for they never attend places of worship. Some of them do not know what sort of thing a religious service is. We may shudder when we say it. It is believed there are thousands in London who do not even know the name of Christ, living in what we call a Christian land, and yet they have not heard the name of Jesus. Thank God things are better than they were, but things are bad enough still. Brethren, you must go and see these things and mend them. To the lodging houses, young men, you must carry the gospel. And to those thickly peopled habitations where every room contains a family and not one room a Christian. 
I believe there is very much good to be done by house-to-house visitation, not by city missionaries and Bible women only. May God speed that noble body of laborers, but by all of you, by you that have position in society among your neighbors. Make yourselves free and go and talk to them of Christ in the little houses that are near to you. As far as your time allows, be a visitor. And if there be one dark part of the town known to you as the haunt of sinners, make it a point to use this agency of visitation from house to house. Let the lost sheep of Israel's house be sought out. What a tremendous statement. That's exactly why Spurgeon was so effective. Oh, he preached to millions of people. He saw saw thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people come to know Jesus Christ through his preaching. The reason Charles Spurgeon was effective is because he was a soul winner and he inspired his people to be soul winners. And they went out and they won people for Jesus Christ personally. Then you have D.L. Moody in Chicago. He was young. He was untutored. He was zealous for Christ, but he was, uh, he was working in Chicago in the 1860s. And Richard Ellsworth Day wrote a book about Moody called Bush Aglow. He said this, This man who rushed through life making felonious assaults upon total strangers with his rude challenge, are you a Christian? What a tremendous thing. D.L. Moody made it his point that he, was not, that he was going to win one person to Christ every single day for the rest of his life. And there were times when it would get toward evening and he had not won somebody to Christ for that day. And he would go out, rain, shine, didn't matter what, looking for someone that he could talk to about Jesus Christ. And on many occasions, he won somebody at 10, 11 o'clock at night who was the only person on that street. Because he made it a point that he was going to win at least one person personally for Jesus Christ every single day for the rest of his life. Why do you think we know men like Jonathan Goforth? Why do you think we know who Charles Spurgeon and, and Billy Sunday and D.L. Moody and these guys are? Because they won souls for Jesus Christ. Not just in these great meetings. They were great preachers and that helped. They were, they were known. But when they went to talk to somebody about Christ, they didn't say, I'm the great D.L. Moody. Come to Jesus Christ. They were just telling them about Christ. And most of these guys didn't get that well known until well after they were dead. And people started to realize the impact that they had on all these other people. But oh, that we could have that same impact. Now, here's number three. And we'll get back to the outline here. But objections answered. I'm not going to take a long time to go through these things. But there's a lot of people who object to personal soul winning. Oh, we can't be a personal soul winner. Well, because number one, you'll never reach everybody. And I agree, you, you, we never can reach everybody more than likely, but you can offer Christ to everyone. You can offer Christ to everyone. Now, enlistment evangelism, impersonal evangelism, inviting people to come, hey, that works sometimes. And it works with some people, 3% of them to be exact. But at least with evangelism, with personal evangelism, we can offer Christ to everyone. They might reject it. We're not going to win everybody to Christ. The devil is still the prince and the power of the air. He's still on this earth. He's, he's roaming, uh, you know, and he's going to cloud a lot of people's minds. We're not going to be able to win everybody, but we can win a whole lot more people through personal evangelism than we can with impersonal evangelism. Here's another objection. In our culture, people don't want strangers badgering them. And that's true. Uh, they've never wanted that in any culture, though. Right? Right? Oh, it's different today. I just feel so awkward standing on somebody's porch trying to tell them about Christ. I mean, everybody's so private about their religion. But here's how we answer that objection. Since when did we become culture-driven instead of scripture-driven? 
Since when did we allow the culture to tell us when and when we cannot witness for Jesus Christ? The scripture tells us to go be a witness for Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what the culture says we should or should not do. Well, here's another objection. This is going to result in false confessions. You know, look at Jonathan Goforth. He sticks his foot in the door. And of course, what do you think they're going to do? They want him gone, so they're going to accept Christ as their Savior, so he'll leave. I can agree. And so, you know, every other method will result in false confessions other times. And I think other methods even more so, because somebody sitting in a pew cannot ask a question if you're saying, raise your hand if you want to be saved. Okay, I want to be saved. I think we make a whole lot more false professions with impersonal evangelism than we do with personal evangelism. But there are a couple of solutions. Number one, don't be pushy. You know, we can look for those who are interested in the gospel. We're not trying to make somebody finally say, okay, I'll accept Christ if you just leave. Don't be, pu don't be pushy. But the other thing is we have to be thorough. Be thorough with the gospel. Uh, that requires training soul winners to be thorough and not just look for a quick prayer, not just look for somebody to, you know, to, to uh, yes, I, I agree, I need to be saved, I want to be saved, I want to go to heaven without having any understanding of what they're doing. And, okay, one, two, three, four, four, hey, I led 13 people to Christ in a whole big group this afternoon. That's not, that, that is going to produce false professions. So we have to, we, we shouldn't be pushy. Although, you know, we're trying to give people something that is very important, so we shouldn't just be a pushover when it comes to those things. But we have to be thorough. And if we're thorough with them, then we're not going to have false professions. Here's another one. You're going to run people off. Turn over to John chapter 3. They say, well, if I share with the gospel with them and they don't want to hear it, that's going to turn them off toward anyone that would have a chance to give them the gospel later on. How many times have people said that? I'm just trying to build a relationship with them. And, and, and it is. I mean, building a relationship with somebody is important. But it shouldn't be that, well, I'm going to spend six years building a relationship with them, hoping that I can get that one opportunity to share the gospel. It ought to be you share the gospel with them, and then you spend six years building that relationship so you can get a chance to share the gospel with them again. But there's so many people, well, if I'm, if I'm pushy with it or if I, you know, if I try to give them the gospel on their doorstep, then they're going to hate Christians and they're never going to listen to it again. Look what the Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. They're already on their way to hell. What do you have to lose by sharing the message of the gospel with them? They can't get any more lost than they already are. You know, besides that, what happens if you in the, you know, the, you're waiting for that perfect opportunity and you didn't share the gospel with them so that somebody can maybe give them the gospel later on and they die in the meantime? They go to hell because you were trying to be nice and not give them the gospel so that somebody later on might have an opportunity to give them the gospel. And now we lost out on the chance. They are already on their way to hell. They're going there now. The Bible says if they don't know Christ as their Savior, they are condemned already. They can't get any more lost. They can't get any farther from Christ than they are. Give them the gospel where they are. It's not going to run people off. Here's the fifth objection. People say you win them and then you drop them. And I think that's a big mistake. Uh, it's, it's, it's not true for the most part. We've never won somebody to Christ in this place and then never saw them again because we let them go. Uh, some we've won to Christ, they've moved away and things like that. That happens. And we still try to get them into a good church where they're going. Um, but even if it were, 
is that worse than not winning them at all? Right? I mean, we, we, that happens. And, and unfortunately, you know, we lead somebody to Christ and we don't, we don't follow up the right way. We don't disciple them the wrong way. And I'm not saying us, but I'm saying in general. That's one of the, well, you just, you just lead them to Christ and then you never follow up with them. We should be following up with them. We should be thorough with them. We should try to help them grow in Jesus Christ. But getting them saved and then not discipling them is a whole lot better than not winning them in the first place, right? right? It's a mistake on our part to not follow up, but it's still better than not winning them at all. No reason to not tell them about Christ. Here's another one. You're plucking green fruit. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. They say that, well, they're not ready to be saved, or they would have come to church looking for answers. They would have sought you out looking for answers. If they were really ready to be saved, you're just plucking green fl- fruit. You're, you're plucking fruit that's not ready to be, you know, harvested yet. Look what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 2. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There's not a better time to get saved than right now. And besides that, look, there might be people, like Spurgeon mentioned, that have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. But there's still a conscience, and the Holy Spirit still does one thing in the life of somebody that's not saved, and that is to convict them of their need for Jesus Christ. They might be convicted of their need for Jesus Christ, but not even know who they need to repent to. They might not even know what that conviction is until you explain it to them, and, oh, now everything makes sense, and they get saved. Now, the way the world is today, a lot of times people don't get saved on the first time you tell them. It's sad because people are so immoral today. People are so unaware of who Jesus is and what it's all about that they usually don't get saved on the first time. But somebody might. Amen. Somebody might. And it's not plucking green fruit. And, and, you know, we shouldn't be fruit inspectors anyway. If somebody's ready to get saved, they ought, we, ought, we ought to be ready to lead them to Christ. Here's the last one that people use. Witnessing is not a time, but a way of life. Well, I'm not going to go out on visitation. We should be a witness for Christ every moment of every day. And we should be. We should be. But most people who never schedule it never make it a way of life. If you don't have a time when you go out to try to win people to Jesus Christ. It almost never is going to become a way of life for you. Now, turn over to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be finished. Luke chapter 10. There's a lot of people who object to personal evangelism, and many of them come from the Calvinistic side of the, of the tracks, I, I guess you could say, because, well, they're going to get saved anyway, so why do I need to lead them to Christ? They're going to get saved whether I do it or not. That's, that, that's one of the flaws with with uh, Calvinism. Um, and there are Calvinists who, out there who say, well, you know, I still witness, we still go knocking on doors because, you know, even though they're going to get saved, whether we tell them or not, God uses us to tell them. And, and I get it. I mean, there are some, there are some Calvinists who are so winning evangelistic Calvinists. But that's one of the flaws with it, and, and they come up with all the reasons why personal evangelism does not work. And I'm not saying Calvinists are the only ones. There's plenty of other people who come up with all of these excuses why personal evangelism is not the way to do it, you know? Why don't I just invite, invite them to church? If, if, if their heart's under conviction, they'll get saved. And, and that's true, and that's why I keep saying that impersonal evangelism is not wrong. But personal evangelism has so much more potential to win people to Jesus Christ, and not just people, but the world. We could win the world to Jesus Christ. 
I've, I've given you that illustration before, but if every single person won one person a year, and then that person went out and won somebody else, within like 14 or 17 years, maybe 32 years, I can't remember exactly what it is, I don't want to give you the wrong number, but within a very short number of years, every single person in the world could be saved. If everybody just went out and won one person. Now let's say that those same people went out and invited one person to church every year. Think about how much longer it's going to take to win them. And personal evangelism is not wrong, but personal evangelism is so much more effective and has so much more potential to win so many more people for Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 10 and verse 2. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. You've read that verse many times before, but let's slow it down. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. If that's not personal evangelism, I don't know what is. Sending us out into the field to go and reap the people who need to be saved. He's sending forth the laborers, not bringing the fruit into the house, sending forth the laborers into his harvest. There's some limitations to personal evangelism too. We're going to talk about those next week. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you for the word of God and how clear it is. God, I thank you for the uh, the fact that you not only tell us to win souls, but that you're with us when we do it. And that you bring the conviction in the hearts of those that need to be saved. God, I pray that you'd help every one of us in here to be the witness that you want us to be. God, that we might see fruit from our labors because we are the witnesses that you want us to be. God, I pray that you'd send us forth from here with a desire to win souls. And that you'd give us a protection. Those that are struggling with different illnesses and things, God, I pray that you'd bring them uh, back to health, and that you'd bring us all safely back together here on Sunday. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.